Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Animals in People Clothes. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Euphoria Unbound. New novel from Nora Bing. Get the blood pumping with Euphoria Unbound. Welcome, everyone, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers. We do a lot of stuff behind in front of the camera um, in post-production. And we use all of that, of course, to discuss film, analyze it, see why it works, how it works, um, maybe where it doesn't work, uh, and all those kinds of things from, of course, our opinion, selves, minds. And this past uh, few days, so we recorded on Thursday, and now it's Sunday. Uh, the last episode was Thursday. And I had done one day of three for a first round of auditions for a short film I'm casting. And I was moaning, whinging <laughs> about... Um, struggling to find a good dude like a a really good actor to cast opposite this uh, woman i uh, auditioned and she was fantastic uh and i was like okay i need to find someone as good as her and after two more days of auditioning i didn't find them <laughs> it was <laughs> it was not what i was hoping for uh what i did find were uh like two or three more women who were outstanding and the 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 second one that popped up on my radar i was like you know what i had her go through the 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 script a couple of times then i was like hey last minute switch here do you mind uh if we switch your role from the woman to the man and she read that and she killed it uh because good actors that's what they do she literally did a cold read on the spot and killed it and so i was like yeah, okay cool thanks um we'll be in touch and I, it was funny because I got off the give them nothing, but take <laughs> yeah, from them everything, <laughs> Mr. <Great>. Director. <laughs> and, and, Sorry, uh, I had to. <laughs> uh, and I, I was talking to my producer afterwards. I was like, "It doesn't matter to me. There's nothing particularly male about the male character. Like, I wanted it for a dynamic reason. But at the end of the day, I want to work with the best actors. And because this guy really doesn't need to be guy." Like, I don't mind working with two women. Um, that's great. And in fact, I'd already considered it when I was reaching out to a bunch of other well-known actors. I was like, if I can only get two two women from my list, then I'll just cast two women. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, there's a physical aspect to the character, and that's also why I wanted the guy. Uh, they have to carry a, a, a person. And so it gets a lot easier if it's a dude, but there's no reason it has to be a guy, um, for sure, story-wise. And so... That's where I'm at now, man. I think I'm going to end up switching the, the character from a, a man to a woman because I don't cast on look. I cast on talent and the script has nothing in particular that needs to be a particular race, particular gender. Just give me talented people and I will move the world to make it work. Uh, that's my mentality anyway. That's awesome. What flexibility, honestly, you know, and, 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 you started to tell me this before we started recording and I said, okay, stop. So let's talk <laughs> about this on the cast because I, I think this is a great example of not allowing your preconceived notions to uh, affect your judgment in the creative process. Uh, and, and it just, it kind of like opens up a, a world of possibilities. I mean, we, as an, as an artist, I think a lot of times we have decision fatigue where you have too many choices. And so because you have so many choices, you make none of them. 
because it just feels overwhelming. That's what the definition of uh, decision fatigue is. And um, I get it all the time. And to, to, but to allow yourself while you're in the process of making something to be open to possibilities as they come is a totally different thing than just getting started and having too many possibilities, right? And so I think that people, <clears throat> when they have these preconceived notions, they try to, and I'm including myself in this, they try to to adhere to what they anticipated this being instead of being, because they're afraid of, of no, nope, if I have too many decisions, I'm not going to make the right one, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of being open to shifting on the fly should an opportunity present itself right? Being malleable. And it sounds like what, I mean, what a, (laughs) what a cool thing I've never heard. I'm, I'm sure that's happened. Obviously that's happened before, but I don't think we talk about it enough because I don't, I think it's pretty rare. And I I just want to call out how cool that is to be on the fly and seeing, okay, okay. What do I have in front of me? I have two great female actors. Huh? Oh, well the solution is Let's let's make the character female. Fantastic. I, I just think that's awesome, man. It solves so many problems at once. And like you said, it opens up the possibilities whenever you're not married to what you think. And that's the hard thing, I think, for a lot of uh, producers. And I think my producer himself is kind of working through that. Uh, you know, he went to film school, which I did not. Um, and in film school, they kind of beat certain aspects of the filmmaking process into your head. Like, this is how you light a scene. This is how... Uh, you shoot a scene, three-point lighting, you get you get your coverage, you get your wide, your medium, your close-ups, and any inserts that you need, and then you move on. You got everything you need to make it work in the edit. And I don't I don't like any of that stuff. Like, um, and at the same time, if the script says X, then it has to be X. Um, and luckily, you know, I know the director on uh, and the writer on this project, and so I know <laughs> the intention is flexible and like it's it's always about figuring out what the scene is about. What are we trying to communicate in the scene? Why is the scene working on the page? Um, and how can we translate that to the actual experience? Like there's the, the old adage of there's three movies that you make every time you make a movie, right? The the one you write, the one you shoot, and the one you edit. Because it's always in flux. What works in the on the page may not work on, on production day. And what's working on the production day may not actually be what you love in the edit. And so it's, it's a matter of being malleable. And the sooner you can get that through your head, uh, the more successful I think your production is going to be. Um, and you're right. It is a really good exercise of just being open. Uh, and I, the decision fatigue, my God, man, I I'm feeling that hard right now. Like there's just a thousand little things that I have to do. And it's like, okay. Um, and the more I can push those decisions out to the people, you know, closest to them, like, I, I have a sound guy like, Hey, what should the sound design be here? And here's what I like. Here's my taste. Um, give me some options. And that makes it so much easier because like you said, when you start with infinity, everything's possible. Mm -hmm. Ah, but if you, if you start with five things like, okay, I can pick one out of five, uh, one that I like, or pick my favorite two. And then he can pick one. Like that's a, it's a really great collaborative process to soundboard create together and offload and share some of that workload, you know, carry the load. Um, that is a great point, man. Like sometimes you'll have, you'll have the vision, 
mm-hmm. uh, of a certain aspect of of your film or or whatever it is you're making, you have like it's it's clear. I've had this before. We're like, I know exactly what I want this to sound like, or be like, yes. or look like, and this is my direction. And sometimes it's hazy. It's not like you completely know. You have an idea of what's wrong, what, what would be wrong. Or what wouldn't work, but you don't know really what will. And those are great moments to delegate out to people who are experts in that just to to pare down the options. It, like you said, yeah. you know, so instead of having like 30 different ways that this could look or sound, you go to the person who's who's the you go to the DP or you go to the, the, the audio person. And you say, tell me what you think. They bring you three or four options. And if nothing else, even if none of them work, that shows you what you don't like. And that's more important than knowing what you do, because because that tells you don't go down that direction. Okay, got it. Now this has limited your world, you know, in this age of, quote unquote, limitless possibilities of creation. uh, It honestly can be harder to to just create. Uh, There's just too many options. So that's it's a it's a great way if you just give it to the person who is is an expert at that. If you are able to, like if you have a sound person, you know. If you don't have a sound person and you don't have a DP, the best advice is to just do it. And it might not turn out to be exactly how you want it. It doesn't matter. You've done it. And then in the, the next time you'll have that information and that that data to know, don't do it that way again. You know, but there's almost no way to really know if you don't have the vision what the right way forward is. So you just have to make it. And and just to, really quickly, and then I'll give it back to you, uh, go back to your you, you know mentioning about like film school. I think that sometimes film school, and you'd probably agree with this, sometimes gets a bad rap from us mm-hmm. folks who haven't, or or even music school or whatever, who yeah. haven't been there. Because I, I, I think, honestly, I would hope, and I don't know this, but I would hope that you would have teachers in, at, at a, a film school that can tell you the exact same thing that you have just said. I'm going to teach you about three-point lighting so you know what it is. It's not always going to work. And I wouldn't rely on it with every single shot that you do. In fact, a lot of times today, it probably won't work. You know, I would hope that there are instructors that would say that in film school. Who knows, though? But uh, yeah, that that would be my hope. Completely agree. Um, yeah, it's not to disparage or say it's it's not yeah. a lot of use. Obviously, there is. Uh, it's a great way to explore what you do and don't like in production. Like maybe you want to be involved in films and you think you want to be a director and then you wear that helm you're like that was fun one time but yeah i really don't enjoy it you know what i really love is like being a dp i like working with uh lights and the camera and i get to move on to another project directing you're babysitting a thing for ages and you don't get to make a thousand things you get to make one thing (laughs) until this thing is done and then you get to move on whereas deacons gets to work on you know three or four projects a year you know plus Mm -hmm. not even including commercials or whatever that he might be doing uh, but the other nice thing is references. If you don't know what you want, go look at what everyone else has made. It doesn't mean you're going to steal it. It means that you can start eliminating the things you don't like. Like Todd is saying, go look at shot deck is a great use for uh, cinematography. Like, oh, I like this lighting. This is cool. Okay, now I have a starting point. And even though the lighting isn't going to translate to this location and this scene that I'm doing, I know that I really like the softness um, on the face or whatever, like references, inspiration, mood boards, those things all serve to, to direct everyone, including yourself um, as you're working through a project. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
a lot. The other thing I learned uh, in this process of auditioning was I'm not very precious with my script. Like I'm the least precious, you know, writer that I know. Um, but I did find a few moments where I was like, no, they need to stick to the script on that one. And that was interesting for me because I'm not used to saying, no, do my words. <laughs> like I don't really care at all. Uh, but some, this script has so many specific things that that's happening in it that I'm like, ah, if you, if you take, if you move away from it, the punch line of these two words together. And it literally at some points gets that specific. I want these two words together so that it pops out. Um, and this sequence of the joke needs to land or else it's not uh, going to form properly in the audience's mind. Weird little things like that, that I'm not used to, like I'm used to asking people stop being so precious about what I wrote. I don't care. You're not going to offend me. And so to find a reversal on that was interesting. Um, and we'll see. So your last question, and then we can get into it, but did they come in precious, acting precious about the script? Some people, some people okay. were probably a little underprepared. Um, and that might go more to technique. Like I think Meisner students really fight to be present and reactive. And so I had one person that I knew is a Meisner, you know, fan, uh, philosophy and watching them uh, kind of bumble a little bit with the dialogue I was like, Oh, uh, you fought too hard for your technique instead of getting either a little more off book or having the script a little closer at hand in an audition, especially a first audition. It doesn't matter. Just, you know, make sure you're flowing and not correcting yourself or bumbling a little bit, but a few people were probably a little too precious. And that goes back to the same thing of correcting yourself Instead of pushing through, if you miss a word, who cares? Keep going. Um, but the second you correct yourself, you're acting. If you're not correcting yourself, you're in the moment, you're in the scene, you're in the character. And then there were, uh, there's only one person who was super unprecious. Like there was a handful of people who weren't precious at all. And they're like, if the words get jumbled, that's fine. Uh, and that's cool to see. I love that. Uh, there was one person who was like rewriting my shit on the fly. And I was like, oh, oh okay. you're, you're going for it. Cool. Like I have a lot of respect. <laughs> it, the one thing with that one though, is it made me question, uh, and she'll be in the callback cause she was fantastic. She was one of my three like amazings, but it does make me wonder how hard it is going to be to get her to go on script when I need her to be on script. Um, and to find that balance of, I can throw this line away and do whatever, but this line, I need to make sure I hit exactly, um, in order to maintain the thematic uh, continuity that I'm inserting into my story. Uh, literally. Yeah. It's so heavily thematic that if you don't nail it, I'm going to look like a really big a-hole for writing this thing. <laughs> like I need it to be precise at points. Uh, because really? it's, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. That's the last thing I want is people to walk out and just say, man, Wes is a, a whatever, a misogynistic, uh, a hole, bigoted, a hole. I don't know. There's a lot of things that could go wrong with the script. Oh uh, man, I yeah. Want to see um, script because yeah. it's a commentary. It's a it's a commentary about mm. crime and the true crime genre. Um, and so mm. I really need people to be on their p's and q's. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Anyway, um, speaking of crime, uh, what are we doing today, man? Today we are covering. Uh, I think is this from the nineties? Yeah, I think I think it so. is right. Ninety eight, ninety five, ninety eight. Okay, <clears throat> we are covering the nineteen ninety eight ish uh, film Denzel Washington film Fallen. So if you haven't seen that, please pause this episode, go watch it because we're going to spoil uh, all the things. All the things. All the we'll, things. 
We'll dive a little into cinematography, uh, the way you shoot exposition, highlights. Uh, we'll also touch a little bit on the story and writing theme uh, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. Homicide detective John Hobbs witnesses the execution of serial killer Edgar Reese, but the killings start again, and they are very similar to Reese's style. Directed by Gregory Hoblet, written by Nicholas Kazan, cinematography by Newton Thomas Seigel, featuring Denzel Washington as John Hobbs, John Goodman as Jonesy, Donald Sutherland as Lieutenant Stanton, and Beth Davids as Greta Milano, James Gandolfini as Lou, and Elias Cotez as Edgar Reese. Is this for real? I mean, do you, you, you believe this stuff? I believe more is hidden than is seen. Well, I believe what I see, and I'm still trying to get my mind around what I just saw, okay? Something threatened me. And it's Reese. He threatened me in Aramaic. I mean, we're going wait, 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 backwards. What else did Reese say? Hey, I'm asking the questions here, Miss Milano. You answer the question. You answer the questions that I ask, okay? Because if I don't know what's going on... We're not supposed to know. We're not supposed to know. We're not supposed to see. It's like the mafia. They don't even exist. Okay, okay. That's good. That's a start. They don't even exist. So where are they from? Who the hell are they? Mr. Hobbs, there are certain phenomena which can only be explained if there is a god. And if there are angels, and there are, they exist. Some of these angels were cast down and a few of the fallen were punished by being deprived of form. They can only survive in the bodies of others. It's inside of us, inside of human beings, their vengeance is played out. That's it. Come on, get out of here. I mean, come on, what? I mean, it's Milano, I'm, I'm just a cop, okay? I'm a detective. My work is based upon evidence, facts. Mine too, mine too. And aren't your facts here rather resistant to normal interpretation? So you're saying that Edgar Reese is actually... At the time you knew him, he was not himself. He was Azazel. Yes, Azazel. Sadistic, left-handed, likes to sing. Reese? Yes. So why does he focus in on me? What would you do? He got his attention. So he tried to get inside you. Remember, he shook your hand. That didn't work. So now he's going to try and find some other way. Like you did with your father. Okay. okay. So what do we do? I mean, how do we fight him? Is it even possible? I believe it is. And I'm not alone. There's a network of people. I don't even know who they are. I just have numbers. Okay, yeah. okay. Now, these people, they know we, the We believe that God limited demons and made them mortal. And he put a few of us here to fight them. Us? Us who? Who us? You saying me? I mean, you saying I'm one of these people? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. You're just doing your job. So, <laughs> us. Us who? Who? Who us? <laughs> it's so great. I love. I mean, yeah. I one of the things I love about that scene is that it's it's all exposition, right? It's just the two people talking. You could have that conversation anywhere. You could, you know, put in two characters in a room in a library, looking at books and talking about demons. Like they could have done, that would have all been boring. Like, I love that, you know, that whole conversation is uh, visually representative of what's happening in Hobbes' uh, mind because we keep going in circles. We're spinning and he's walking around. He's restless, right? Um, because he's fighting with this whole idea of, do I believe what I'm supposed to be believing here? This is insane, which is really good to underline like 
this is a leap. This is a leap in logic. This is a leap in philosophy uh, to believe in the supernatural, right? You need that. You need all of that in order to sell that. And then after, right after that is when everything settles down and stops. And it's when he connects emotionally uh, with her, with Greta. Um, and the camera stops moving. He stops moving. Um, and everything gets very shallow. And it's it's beautiful. Um, it's a really beautiful way to handle exposition. That was a one of the cinematography notes I had. But it's funny because you were like, is this a 95 movie? Is It, it doesn't feel like a 98 movie. As strange as it is to split those hairs. Like this does feel like something from early 90s, like 92, 93. Yeah. And at the same time, I don't know how many Denzel movies we've covered, man, but it's not enough. Totally agree. Totally agree. Another thing I love about that scene, I'm so glad you picked it, is is because they shot it outside, there's a lot of people walking around. So you just feel like at any point it could be, you know, Azazel could be there, you know, it, it, any it could be any of us. And I'll just also just want to point out that I feel the need to defend left handed people. Listen, <laughs> you're not demons. <laughs> just because you're left handed does not mean that you are a demon. I mean, most of you are. But if <laughs> you know, <laughs> just she calls out the left handedness and the whole time uh, just felt the need there. But no, like, you know, and, and we're outside. Um, the camera is outside of people walking around that that circle so they're they're crossing the the camera a lot and we're seeing them in the background a lot and wait are you left-handed no oh okay okay are you kidding me (laughs) i was like that was gonna surprise me and and then you like (laughs) to sing on top of that and i was like you know what maybe maybe there's something here azazel um (laughs) there's a lot of rolling stones in this like because we end on sympathy for the devil um yeah yeah how did this land for you man was it was it enjoyable? I have a lot of thoughts um, of a variety uh, of ways, but yeah. How, how did this work for you? Good movie, decent movie, just fine. Awesome. Terrible. Uh, <laughs> how did it go? Well, anything, it go? anything with Denzel in it is great. Yeah. Let's just say that. So if it didn't have Denzel, uh, it probably would have completely fallen flat for me. Well, not completely, but would have fallen flat for me, but he yeah. just, he just carries everything so well. So love him in it. I love everything he does. And then, I, you know, remembering this is the 90s, I, I really thought that the twists were great. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, mm. judging from today's standards, I feel like there were some some tropey things and a little too much exposition every now and then that, that was done a little cheesily, you know, uh, from the perspective of Azazel in whatever character he was just explaining everything. So I... I you know, there are things that now I would have done different. I wouldn't have let him interact with Azazel as much, hmm. uh, honestly. But I would; those were enjoyable moments. You know, putting myself back in the, you know, mid to late '90s, it was it probably blew people's minds. I would think, you know, in a lot of ways. And and you know, the 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 ending with the, you know, we weren't realizing that we were listening to Azazel the whole time was interesting because it was hmm. Denzel's voice, and so we were. We just assumed that it was Denzel and that he was going to survive. Well, actually, we've been listening to Azazel the whole time just through Denzel's voice um, and how he's a kitty cat. Um, But, you know, putting myself back in that time, it was like pretty enjoyable, I would say. Uh, And there were there were real costs to it. His brother uh, dying, you know, and then uh, him, his nephew, him him, uh, having feeling the real need to save his nephew you know, and, um, having to run away from the, the police, you know, because he's, he's been framed. Like there were some real costs, uh, to, to this. 
I loved uh, uh, Edgar Reese. His character was just, you know, brilliant, evil, evil guy. The whole floating camera thing was very dated, I would say. Uh, But, you know, it served its purpose for mid to late 90s, I would say. And then remembering also, there's something to be said, and I was noticing this during the the film. There's really something to be said about old cop films before cell phones, but even before Mm. everybody had a computer on their desk. If you notice, like there's there's papers everywhere. There's files everywhere. It's just like a mess. It's total chaos. If you set a paper down somewhere and you forget, it's gone. You'll never find it again. There's no computers on anybody's desk. You know, there's it's it's all analog. Uh, It's an analog world uh, back then. And so the fact that they got anything done was just kind of amazing <laughs> to be honest they had to physically go places or like you know other movies they're looking up microfiche in the in the library and stuff and it's uh it's crazy and then you know when he finally does get in front of a computer and he's on aol uh, uh america online and uh web doing crawler. searches and he's, stuff he's doing a, a search on web crawler <laughs> yes exactly um that was probably cutting edge, you know, back then. I mean, watching him run that search was actually pretty cool because he uses quotations, which is what you want to do when you're looking for specific terms. And at the time, and, I probably would have been like, what are you doing? You don't need to do that. Uh, just punch in the term. No, he was actually running the sophisticated search. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I, I really did. I really I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had only seen it the one time years ago. Mm. Uh, so I remembered some. I remembered the Rolling Stones. That's what I remembered. Uh, the the last song uh, and the snow. I remembered that, but I didn't remember how it ended. Uh, so it was a it was a a welcome little twist there at the end. So interesting. Yeah, I remember watching this. Uh, you know, in the nineties, and my reaction to it then was it was okay. Like I kind of walked away from it. Like it was fine. Uh, and so I was really excited to revisit it and see. Am has it changed? Have I changed? Right. Same person never crosses the same river twice. Right. It's not the same river. Um, it's not the same person. And going back and watching it again, I, I kind of still walked out with, it was fine. <laughs> it was, it was good. <laughs> um, and I think it's for the reasons of like, maybe a little long for what it's doing. I think if you cut 20, 30 minutes down, uh, it tightens up a lot of stuff, but, and that's the tricky thing. I really spent some time thinking about, how would I do that in this movie? Because it's tricky from the standpoint of you need a lot of space. If you rush through some of these beats, it's going to get really cartoony really fast. You need to create space for Denzel to buy in to the supernatural. um, And you need to let that gradually happen. And so how do you do that while still cutting out, you know, uh, 25% of the movie or 20% of the movie? That's, that's tall order, you know? And so, what I kind of settled on was I probably don't tighten up a lot of stuff. What I probably want to do in pre-production preferably is start cutting out entire threads. Like I might remove his brother and the nephew from this whole plot line. And in doing so you can start fleshing out other things, which is I think my frustration. So I, I did a quick Google of the script and notice that this is the fourth draft. And so I was really curious about what's that first draft? 
what what was it whenever he brought it to the studio um, before producers and directors and um, studio executives got involved? I wonder what that script was like and if it's the same script with just a little variation here and there or if there was like really big differences because there's a thread in here that's comparing being a cop uh, to being an angel and how evil is present, right? Uh, Lou at the beginning is Gandolfini's character um, is having this really interesting conversation with Hobbs about you. Do you take any cream? Uh, And they're being very coded in their language about being a crooked cop and taking bribes or doing dirty business on the side. Uh, And Denzel of course is very pure or uh, Hobbs is very pure. And that sets him up to be this pure character that can fight the evil of this demon. Right. Um, And so there's that, that's a really interesting conversation. Right. And, but it goes a little further whenever Hobbs responds, like, I don't like cream and I, and I don't judge. Um, and Lou's pushing back under no circumstances would a holy man like you ever break the law or do something. And what he responds with, and this is what I think is underscoring my point. He Hobbs comes back and says, cops are the chosen people. And so they're, they're setting up this dynamic of cops being these really important figures of society comparable to being angels and to a cop on a investigation, everyone on the street is a suspect potentially, right? Which also plays into the whole idea of Azazel popping from one person to the next. Like he, you have to inspect every single person in order to find uh, the, the, the actual villain, the bad guy. And then of course, Greta, I think furthers this whole conversation of demons are like the mafia, they don't even exist, right? Like that's this mentality of finding the right crime and uncovering, you know, deep, dark uh, webs of evil in, in modern society. And so there's this analogy happening between cops and demons um, that I think is really cool. Um, and I think by cutting out his brother and the nephew, what you can do instead is flesh out his relationships with the cops around him, like Lou. I think there's a really good missed opportunity with that character, with Lou, by having that whole thing squashed early on. Nothing ever happens with Lou. We set up a whole dynamic and then just let it shrivel away, uh, as opposed to what happens if Azazel takes over Lou. And now Hobbs has to really make a decision about who he is as a cop. And also as someone trying to fight evil uh, of a demon. And so that could go either way. Either like I remain pure and I don't kill uh, Azazel because I would be killing a person, Lou. But you get to the end of this film and he's already made his decision. I'm going to kill a person in order to kill the demon. And so there's no, the the conflict, the inner, you know, the bigger thematic conflict never really gets fleshed out. And I think it's, I suspect it's because executive stepped in and uh, and said, you know, that movie seven, that movie seven was really good. We should uh, make it more like seven. And they just kind of kept pushing the envelope to match, not necessarily the beats, but some of the the tones of seven, like, oh, the, the villain wins at the end. Now, I think there's something to the villain winning at the end of this movie, and it could still go that way in this other magical version that I'm fabricating, because the, the villain winning in this says something about society and about how we need to be on our our own vigilance, right, of finding the evil out there and and not succumbing to it and being pure and not letting it invade us. All those kinds of things is it's, it's there, but I think it could be so much stronger with another path that starts with cutting down the runtime. Um, yeah, yeah th- those are some of the thoughts that occurred to me anyway, about the the story itself. 
But even with that, man, it's still fun to watch because the cast is so good. You have John Goodman playing against Denzel. Come on. And then Don, Donald Sutherland, Gandolfini. Elias Cotillas is like fantastic. He's one of those unsung uh, character actors who you've seen a thousand times and you don't know his name. And same thing with Inbeth Davids. Like she's amazing. Uh, and seeing all these people together in one film with a lot of screen time together. It's not like, oh, it's just a high and a buy. It's like, no, they're developing like actual chemistry on screen. And man, Denzel and John Goodman together were fire. Like I really yeah. enjoyed seeing them together. And for me, that makes this movie worth watching a thousand times over. But I think what makes this really 90s too is the whole supernatural element. Like, I don't know how many movies we get anymore. That's a thriller with, you know, spirits and demons and stuff. That's a pretty, I don't know. I don't know how often you see that at all. Everything is now much more uh, psychological and scientific, um, which is fun. I appreciate that. And this belongs in the nineties. Uh, but it was cool just to kind of run around in this era. Cause in the mid to late nineties, it felt like we were getting a lot of those like uh, stigmata and, you know, Constantine was right around the corner. There's a lot of those mm -hmm. kind of films. It's fun. I don't know, man. I, I really enjoy it. I think I just have a lot of wish, <laughs> like, oh, I wish X, Y, Z had yeah. happened. Uh, but I do love the the elements of Azazel human hopping, if you want to call it that, because it's so hard to execute that. Like the writing is really easy and it's kind of neutral on that front, but it takes really good directing and really good acting to make you believe that's Azazel. That's no longer whoever, uh, an extra right? These extras are popping up out of the background to suddenly be a character. Um, and you, every time I believe, yeah, that's Azazel now. Um, I've, I never had a moment where I was like, is that Gandolfini or is that Lou or is that Azazel? I was like, no, 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 that's Azazel. And I'm waiting for him to reveal himself. And then boom, right. He starts singing, uh, and all that. And the visuals, I like, I really enjoyed the visuals, like the, the choice of color and uh, the camera move. It really identifies we're experiencing Azazel's perspective, uh, which is important throughout the film. Yeah, there's a lot of really good directing that's happening in here. The The one thing writing-wise I really didn't like is that he does go into a cat at the end. I don't feel like they justified that in the script. It felt like a cheap out. There's at no point in the story where you kind of have to know the Bible a little bit more to be like, oh yeah, Jesus cast those demons out legion, right? Into the pigs. And so you kind of have it in your head as someone who knows the, the you know, New Testament, that that's the kind of thing that happens. But without that kind of knowledge within the terms of the movie itself, the rules just aren't very strong. Like they're kind of feathered out here and there, which is good. I don't think you need to reveal them in one big exposition dump, but I think you need to do a better job of setting up what those boundaries are so that at the end, you don't feel a little cheated. Uh, and at the same time, I thought it was set up way too strong in the opening scene, right? Where I almost died. Like, uh, I don't know. There might be a dialogue shift that I want so that I feel a little bit more surprised at the end that he survived. Yeah. There's just some little tidying housekeeping things. And I was like, it's close. <laughs> it's close. But ultimately yeah. it felt a little cheap. I don't know. Did, did you feel perfectly satisfied and like surprised about Azazel, you know, surviving after that? Uh, so I felt, I don't know the, the whole, I almost died thing that didn't bother me so much because mm. I thought it was Denzel. Um, and to realize that it was actually Azazel uh, saying that he almost died. Like I was all right with that. But I thought that the the cat thing, I agree with you, that was a little, a little cheap. 
And the we see the cat run under the house when he first gets there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I felt like that was too late in the film. I remembered it too easily. Like when mm-hmm. when when Denzel dies, I realized, oh, the cat. Like oh, right away. Wow. Before right away. I saw the cat. Um, and I think it was just because it was too recent in the film. It needed to be definitely act one and it wasn't but if it was if it would have been act one i probably would have forgotten about it because so much had happened uh but anyway or or even if i didn't see the cat well you gotta have to see the cat at some point before that happens because you know that there's a cat there or something i i don't know it did feel a little cheap jumping into a cat and and running off yeah it it, that part kind of um wasn't the best for me Mm. but i did like the way that they kind of like pieced things together. We don't know anything at the beginning. And then we learn with Hobbes about uh, uh, Officer Milano, I guess it is. And Mm -hmm. then what happens to what happened to him and why we start realizing, Oh, okay. He killed himself to try to save everybody from the demon because the demon was going to jump in other people. Uh, okay. Okay. Great. So we start piecing it together a little bit, and I liked that. I liked the way that that yeah, happened. Same. It was a little sometimes, and I think this is this dates the movie a little bit. The way that detectives find things is unbelievable. Um, a little bit, you know. And this felt like that. You know, it's a pretty big house. How, he doesn't go into any other rooms before he goes down into the basement. He finds those books pretty quickly, and then he finds the picture. And is able to find that Nate. And I know they got to do it. You know, they only have so much time, right, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like those books are pretty well hidden and pretty well disguised with, you know, all of the dust and and debris and, 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 and cobwebs that it would be pretty hard for anybody to spot that much less that quickly. So that's a little unbelievable. But that's one of those things that I just I, I sign up for. Yeah. When I go to the movies, you yeah. know, that one I was okay with the one that bugged me just a tiny bit was when he's on the bus and he leans over to talk to the nun yes. and he's like, Hey, uh, hi, nice to meet you. And I love, I mean, this is all Denzel, I think kind of breaking scenes up into believable, um, moments and he introduces himself. Well, he says, hi, whatever breaks attention. And he's like, can I ask you something? Apocalypse. Does that mean anything to you? She's like, yeah, it's the Greek word for revelation. And it's kind of just, <laughs> we're in and out. Like, yeah, here's some uh, useful exposition for you, buddy. Uh, it's like, yeah. oh, hold on. Like, I think I would have preferred just, you can spend the extra seven seconds there of making it two nuns. And another, another nun jumps in. The first nun is like, oh, you mean like the end of the world? You know, and just, and another, and he's like, no, no, no. I mean like more biblically, like push back a little bit, a little more back and forth. And then another jump, nun jumps in. Well, yeah, it also is a, it's a Greek word for revelation. It's like, oh, that's a light bulb. That's a moment. He didn't have to dig at all for that. And like, and so yeah. it just, things fall into his lap a little too easily at times, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Which, which is fine. One thing I did like, this is super Wes uh, going deep in, in the rabbit hole here. When he pulls up to the house at the end, his car license plate says KAZ 816. And my first thought with that was, oh, that sounds like a verse. Like when I see a number like 816, I'm 
immediately thinking biblical verses. Um, and so I was like, but there's no Kaz in the Bible. And then I thought, oh, wait a second. It could be reversed like Zechariah, Z-A-K instead of K-A-Z. Um, so Zechariah 8.16 is a, is a verse. Um, These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Um, and I think that's kind of playing into the whole idea of this being a, about cops and justice and ultimately a bigger picture about that. The other element to that, and I think it's a double, I think it's a double whammy, um, is Kaz is also Nicholas Kazin, um, the screenwriter. Uh, and it's like they slipped in a little homage to him. And he was born on September 15, which is 915. Uh, and so I think it's a combination of this is a, a play on the verse as well as uh, a nod to our screenwriter um, and what he was actually trying to accomplish in the script, um, which is cool. This is really, yeah, again, this is a West rabbit hole. I'm not saying this you is are. <laughs> How much time did you spend on that? My God. I haven't slept in 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhausted, but God damn it, it's worth it. This is the, the, the scene from It's Always Sunny where he's got the, the board, bulletin board up. Oh, yes. Everywhere. <laughs> Oh. Cats, cats everywhere, man. Cats everywhere. <laughs> the Perfect. other directing thing that I liked in here was that last conversation. This is after Hobbs gets uh, kicked off the forest. Give me your badge and your gun. Like, uh, not really what happens, but and and he's sitting and having this. Uh, Hobbs is having this conversation with Jonesy, and they talk about the whole thing about why we're here on Earth. And like, uh, my wife thinks it's one thing, just one thing. Not two or three. Well, maybe two. I don't know. Whatever. What? Well, anyway, uh, and that's when the, the, how do I know when my moments arrived? Phone rings. I love that little beat. And that's just good actors playing with each other right there. It's like, uh, they start laughing. It's like, that could be my moment. You never know. And he's like, well, the, the, the killer called. He says, we'll arrange things later. You know, it's really funny. Uh, and then he, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Uh, and he gets up and he leaves. And I love that the scene ends and we just kind of hang out for a moment. We watch Hobbs pack leave and linger a moment on Jonesy. And I love that we sit that extra moment to just let the moment breathe instead of cutting straight to the new thing. It's good. It's good for pacing. It's good to let the audience kind of process and digest something. And then also we get to watch this last moment with Jonesy um, because it's, it's implying something, whether that's still Jonesy anymore. I don't know. I think it's our last moment with Jonesy before, you know, he gets got, or maybe it is Jonesy. And that's why, Hobbs was being so cryptic about who he was talking to. Like he covered it in a joke. There's so many layers that you can read into it that may not even be there, but because they lingered, it gives you an audience an opportunity to engage with the film, engage with the story. Uh, that's just really good directing to allow that space for the audience uh, to, to start imbuing things with their own, you know, experience and thoughts. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, well, yeah. Hobbs was trying to also protect Greta, right? He's not yes. supposed to be around her and like, like he said to her, this we shouldn't be seen together anymore. And until you said that, I, I didn't even put two and two together. I thought he was just joking with him by saying, oh, it's the killer. And da, da, da. But he was joking with him. But at the same time, he's he's keeping Greta close to the chest, yes. not letting anybody know that he's talking to her, um, whether friend or anything, especially now that he knows that uh, Azazel can hop into anyone, you know, so. 100%. Cinematography wise, the other things that I liked it's hard to tell if this is intentional or not. I, I like to assume intention whenever I think it's cool. And so I'm going to give this a nod to our director. Um, the first shot, last shot is kind of sweet. 
Because the very first shot, the opening, is a POV of Azazel, right? And he's searching. Like, he's he's frantic. He's, he's looking. The very last shot is a crowd of people walking, faceless. And you put those two things together, and it's Azazel looking for his next victim. Yeah. And it could be anyone. It could be any one of us. Uh, and I think that's a really cool first shot, last shot. Uh, not every movie has those kind of opportunities and so uh it's really cool when you know one of those pops out that's a that's a dope idea that's one of those things that like you probably would learn in film school first shot last shot is important that you should probably pay attention to you know like if 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 it's a universal thing that the viewer is going to remember the first thing they see and the last thing they see the most Mm -hmm. usually usually Uh, and so uh, uh giving a little bit in those moments or giving something in those moments is, is pretty important. I mean, it's, it's up there with, with, you know, the acting and the writing and, and the cinematography. It's like, it's part of the story that people are going to take away, you know? So I love that. The other thing, oh man, the, the use of slow-mo in this movie was so good because it's so subtle at times. You don't even know it's slow-mo. Yeah. It's not calling attention to itself at all. And so like that first confrontation at the station, um, whenever everyone starts singing and then he walks outside and he has that big showdown, not a showdown, but a confrontation with Azazel and Azazel just starts hopping around, toying with him, right? I love that. They're using a lot of uh, uh, slow-mo shots on everyone. It's a nice use to heighten the drama and give it this kind of surrealness. And what I couldn't quite pin down is what frame rate they went with because yeah. it, it, it didn't feel slow enough to be like 48 frames. It felt like maybe just a little, like 36 frames a second slowed down, right? That's what it, I was going to say, yeah. Right? Like there's a few lines of dialogue that they're saying that it's not out of sync and it feels right, but it's also just a little bit slow. It's freaking cool. And also watching this, I, I can't put my thumb on it, but it feels like slow-mo on celluloid is just better than on digital and it looks smoother. I don't know if if they just really, you know, focused on their shutter angle to help smooth out some of that stuff, but there's a little bit of choppiness in today's slow-mo that I see um, on digital sensors. Uh, And here it just looked beautiful, just absolutely butter. Yeah. And so great use of slow-mo and they do this throughout the film. Like a lot of just, hints of slow-mo moments that you're like, why would you even shoot slow-mo? That takes a lot of decision-making to say, I'm going to shoot this little opening shot of whatever, uh, uh, Jonesy walking over to Hobbs uh, at a crime scene. And we're just going to shoot that at whatever, 36 frames. And it's going to give it a, a a surrealness to texture to the opening of the scene. And then we're going to move right back into 24. No one's going to know the difference, but they're going to feel the difference. I love little flourishes like that. That's so cool. It takes energy and thought because it doesn't just happen by coincidence. It's a conversation with your DP and with your cast of how you want them to move through the scene sometimes. Like, hey, walk a little faster. Just walk a little bit faster on the scene so that you don't take as long when we conform this into 24 frames a second. That way you're not taking forever to get to the car. Walk just a little bit faster. You have to have all these conversations. And so it's not an accident uh, and it's really well directed. And then the my last little cinematography note is the last converse, confrontation in the woods when they come out of the bushes at night, uh, you have the lieutenant who walks up and that 
great writing there. The, com- the, the, the conversation that's happening could go either way. And it make and that's so hard to do to write dialogue that could play as he could be the the bad guy or he could just be the lieutenant like we don't know and and it's so beautiful um, and then of course Jonesy comes out of the woods too and now you're like okay well obviously it's Jonesy but then a good again good writing good performing you don't really know still like the conversation starts taking this turn where you're like wait. I don't, I don't know. And that's all read perfectly in Hobbs's face. Cause he's, he's looking at both of these guys. Like, I don't know who's who. Uh, um, and it's beautiful. The cinematography thing that I like that's happening here is the eye lights in their eyes are at the bottom of the eye. And again, this is another a detail thing. Um, but for me, it's a hint of sadness. Like it's giving this uh, tone to the scene that brings the energy down and makes it feel fatal. It makes it feel final um, just through an eye light. It gives uh, the whole scene an extra tone that, you know, you you want it, you want it, you want it to feel like things are foregone so that whenever everyone dies, you don't feel ripped off. It felt like inevitable. We were heading this whole direction from the beginning of the scene. Uh, This is where we were going. Um, Yeah, it's just... And one thing, one thing I did feel was, oh man, how heartbreaking is it that he has to kill Jonesy, you know, cause we established Jonesy as a good dude at the very beginning. He defends Hobbs at the table uh, against Lou. Mm-hmm. He's like, you heard the man, the man, you know, he means what he says and whatever. And he defends him a couple of times. Uh, he has his back. He, he, he calls him to warn him like, Hey, they're coming to get you, you know, uh, when the cops are going to come get him. That could have been Azazel, I guess, to try to get some information about where he's going to go. I don't know. Maybe Azazel already knows. I don't know. Who, who knows? But point being is that, you know, he's a good dude. So it it sucks for Hobbs to have to do that. But he knows he that that he has to. That, that's the plan. He's got to save everybody, you know, or he thinks he can. He can. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's basically where I'm at. Like, it's a fun yeah. movie. I, I enjoy it. But at the same time. Uh, I think there is opportunity for something else there. And I would really love to see that first draft um, just to see what happened in that process of running through a bunch of other hands. Uh, and that's the rough thing as a writer and the great thing as a writer director, you can defend your ideas so much better when you're directing. Interesting. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You know, I, I, I also think, you know, you have to, you have or I had to give some concessions to the fact that it was older. Mm. Um, and I think that people tell stories differently, you know, in different ages. Right. And, and some things are more important, like maybe in the, in the late nineties, it was more important to get across the idea of the demon jumping and being able to jump. And it's all about the demon and his response to the demon and less maybe, cause I totally agree with you about the the brother and the, and his son. And maybe there's, there's one mention about, about um Hobbs's wife leaving, you know, mm-hmm. I think at the beginning. It's just a mention, but yeah, maybe it could have been something else. And maybe we they could have developed the story itself around Hobbes a little bit more. And I think nowadays, if this were made now, they probably would have. I think that there's there's more emphasis now on like on fullness of story rather than an aspect of something happening to a character. Who knows, though? Who knows? Uh, yeah. Maybe it would have been. The, I mean, I think that there were some really great films that did that back then. But I mean, anything, anything I'm watching Denzel do, I'm just in love. So yeah. <laughs> it almost doesn't even matter. And and I I just love his method, whatever the hell it is. I don't know. 
there's something to be said about a- actors. I've, I've been seeing a lot of actors, you know, make mention of their process. And the ones that I respond the most to um, lately have been the ones that say, I don't have a process. They say, I do all the, I do all the work before I show up. And then I don't do anything the day of, you know, as in like, I don't act, you know, and if you're prepared enough, if you know the script well enough to where you're not reciting the lines, it's just, you're reacting to somebody else speaking, you know, then that's the best acting is reacting. Right. And, and if you think about it, even if you're not an actor, if you think about it, that makes sense that it's not about the lines on the page. It's not about the, uh, the, the lines before, before or after it's about what's happening in that moment. And if you're thinking about a feeling or executing said words, then, then you're not really, you're not really giving the the story what it needs to, to be. You need to be reacting. And I don't know what his method is, uh, honestly, but it feels like that. I know Russell Crowe has that kind of method where he's like, I don't do anything. I just show up and I go, you know, which is probably why Gladiator was so good. I would say, yeah. cause they didn't even have a script. And I was like, Oh, you mean I can just be great. That's what I do anyway. Um, you know, as opposed to someone like, um, who are we talking about from Daniel day, uh, our, yeah. what we're going to do, uh, Daniel day Lewis. Yeah. Who is hundred percent method. You know, uh, I just find it fascinating. I wonder what his is. Do you know anything about his method? Daniel Day Lewis? No, about oh, Denzel. uh, Denzel's. Um, no, I don't actually. Yeah, same thing. Um, I wonder how much of it is him. Yeah, doing the work before he shows up on set. I don't picture him as a method guy. Um, I Me either. Picture him as a research guy. Like, oh, and maybe he writes a biography for his character and thinks about all the things they've experienced and what's it like to be a cop in this city um, and who makes detective what's it like being a black cop in this city who makes detective. And you know, what are those experiences? What does it mean to build relationships with people in my department? And so I think he probably spends a lot of time developing that and thinking about it and which is, you know, part method um, whenever you're imagining the life of a character and, and using that as your, your juice, because there's, to, there's a lot of flavors of method, right? There's the Daniel Day version, uh, the Jim Carrey version, uh, where you're just, I am this person. I am John Hobbs. It's like, that's the extreme end. Uh, but most method doctors are more, I'm spending time thinking about what life is like as this character. And then whenever I show up, I have all my lines memorized and now I can, it just flows out. It j- it's just there. And that that's really cool. That's a useful you know technique. Uh, one of the things, cause you said something a second ago that I love, uh, and it was one of the first things I learned as an actor was to get off book so that, and, and while getting off book to not prescribe any lines with any emotion, with any, you know, emphasis, these are just words. It's the pledge of allegiance. It's the, the alphabet it's, you know, the dictionary, these are just words. And it's not until I'm performing the scene with my scene partner do they take on any emotional significance that I can then create in the moment? Like if you perform a certain way every single time, how can you be reacting to what's around you? And I see a lot of actors do that. Uh, they just rehearse a certain way and now they, they figured out this is the way I do it. Uh, and then they get on set or they get into an audition and they can't do it any other way. And so if the director is wanting to make a, an adjustment, you can't, that's not good acting. Now, maybe you luck out and you're doing exactly what the director wants and everything works out and everyone's happy, fine. But 
you're never going to get to the greater truths. And more importantly, you're never going to be able to give your scene partners something that they didn't have while they were rehearsing by themselves. Um, and so using the words. And so I learned, you know, right off the bat to just when I'm memorizing my lines, just words, nothing, there is no, there is no intention behind any of this yet. The intention is created in the scene, um, through my own research and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. And so I think Denzel does a lot of that probably as well. Like I'm not, and I mean, that's why the greats are the greats. Uh, he can show up and be reactive, be responsive. And also to know this moment needs more. And that's why every movie Denzel's ever done with the exception of maybe like uh, Macbeth, you'll always have him re asking a question. Someone gives him an answer. He's going to ask the question again or repeat their answer back to them. Like this little test that he gives people. I think that's a Denzel thing. Like, I don't think that's a script thing. Yeah. You know, it's I think like, you're right. Right. Yeah. It's I couldn't like, agree more. Yeah. Cause it, it's like, it's like his vibe. I don't know. It's, it's just his characters, even if it's a, if it's a, like this character in that scene that you showed where he's, he just can't believe, he can't believe that it's a, you know, who, me, you, who, uh, that, that's not on the page, that's him, you know, uh, because then you also have him playing characters like in, 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 um, uh, what's the training day? Well, Training day. Well, I don't know why you know this because you're in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Cause training day where he's the guy who, who knows everything. I know all every detail of every little thing. And this is a totally different character who knows nothing, honestly, and is refuting to learn, uh, what he's being told. So, um, yeah. And, but he can play them both and you see his style in both, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and you still buy in. That's the key, right? Yes. Like we're still buying oh, yeah. into the story. We're still buying into Hobbs wrestling with the supernatural. Yeah, I dig it. I mean, I know I, I talked a lot of trash about it, but I still, but I do dig it. Like this is a fun yeah. experience. I, uh, I don't see you talking trash about it. I, okay, I, I see you like poking holes in it, which is the po whole point of what we do, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but the fact that you saw it in the 90s and it was, that's ah, that's pretty good. And then you saw it in 2023 and you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. And you're a different person, and yet you still have a similar reaction. That's like, true. I think that that's actually positive. Agreed. Agreed. I like yeah. it. Um, nice. Yeah. Well, that's all I got, man. Uh, final thoughts? Uh, nope. Uh, I've already said it all. I, I, I mean, this is a this is a win because of Denzel. He literally would take anything uh, to the stratosphere. So uh, it's because of that. But it was also pretty fun. Um, a pretty fun journey going through it because it like took us with it. You know. So yeah, it was enjoyable for sure. I was looking forward to it. Awesome. What are you going to recommend this week? Uh, I'm going to, uh, okay. So last week I gave you kind of like a curveball with my reco uh, uh, being Wonka. I know, I know. Uh, I'm going to give you another curveball. We watched this on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day because it's very long. Uh, but I, I just loved it. I don't know why. I was, maybe I was in a good mood and just down to watch something with my wife because you know i don't always get to watch movies with her that she sits through and doesn't fall asleep at uh but i'm going to recommend you're gonna yeah sound of music oh oh okay yeah i know i know <laughs> um and it uh it's it just okay you know yes I don't like musicals and I've just recommended two over the last two weeks. I realized that. And, and, and you know what, we're all humans and we can, we can evolve and change and whatever, but I don't even care. I, the, the, the setting of the film, you know, it's, it's, it's pre-World War II 
or like coming into World War II uh, in um, Austria. That's where the setting is. And so it it starts very light, but then there, the conflict is you feel weight with the conflict and you feel you see characters change throughout um, and evolve. It is, you know, there are there are things it's hard to judge it based on 2023 standards because it is so old. Um, however, there are some really wonderful moments in it. And if you can get through uh, if you can get through the singing and and dancing, which is very hard, I will say, <laughs> uh, if you have someone you love who loves it that you can watch it with, it becomes enjoyable. And it was it was enjoyable because it was Christmas Day that we finished it. And it was like it was just a good moment. The only time I think I would watch that and be like, oh, OK, yeah, I really liked that. So if in the right circumstances, I think it was great. And for me, it was wonderful. Nice. Someone is trying to get me to watch that uh, as well. So maybe don't do it alone. You'll you'll hate it. <laughs> don't do it alone. Do it with I, somebody who, you know, likes it. I appreciate your honesty, Todd. <laughs> OK. Yeah. I'm going to recommend I was on the fence because it's a cop film. And so do I do I do another cop film or legal system, justice system thing like Anatomy of a Fall? But I am going with a new, uh, recent release and maybe a bit of a curveball as well uh, with the new Godzilla minus one. Oh, I want to see it. I've heard amazing things about it, <laughs> but that's good that you're recoing. It's it's funny, man, because I know in some ways it's like uh, fallen in that. Yeah, it's fine. Um, and in other ways, it's like it had no right to be that damn good. Like they that's had a budget heard. of something like under 20 million, some have said 15 or 18 million, whatever you should not at any era short of like actual world war two been, be able to make a Godzilla movie for under $20 million. That's outrageous. And what they really didn't have any right to do is put a message in it. I'm not going to say what the message is. Please I think don't that might yeah. shift between who's, you know, watching it, but the fact that they put one in there in a Godzilla movie is unbelievable um and so i really do adore it for a thousand reasons yeah go watch it if you can see it in theater great if not i think it'll be fine too like i don't think it's a must watch uh in a theater but it's oh. yeah godzilla minus well, i'm one. just impatient so, <laughs> yeah, I'm, right. so I'm gonna go Fair. okay great i'm i'm that's a good reco i'm really glad you you did that because i've been wanting to see it you know uh, uh, so 100%. yeah i'll go so stay tuned next week. We're going to take a look at a uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film called Phantom Thread. Uh, we'll see about that. I think that's the last Daniel Day-Lewis film, or at least it was supposed to be. People retire all the time and just so that they can come out of retirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget, drop us a review, subscribe, leave us a note if you want us to cover a thing. Uh, shout out to YouTuber Arnold Totfen. Um Hope you enjoyed this, man. Uh, drop a drop a comment. Let us know what you think of Fallen. And if anyone wants to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash Fallen. And our quote of the day today is from Robin Williams. Never pick a fight with an ugly person. They got nothing to lose. <laughs> I don't know why. I, w I thought about that more symbolically. Like an evil person, like a demon has nothing to lose yeah. and so yeah. whenever you go toe to toe with someone of that oak you really can't win like unless you're defending something worth losing for uh and so and that's why i think you know hobbs dies he's like you know what i 
there's no winning here. The best I can do is a draw. Um, and that's what he was going for. And ultimately didn't work out. Uh, but that's the nature of evil. Evil persists. That doesn't mean we also don't persist. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Huh. Well, any Robin Williams. Uh, exactly. Subscribe to. The the day. It's fantastic. Yeah. I love that a movie like this, then you quote Robin Williams. It's, <laughs> it's great. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for joining. Uh, make sure to subscribe, review us wherever you can, and share us with your friends. It, it all matters. It really does help. We really appreciate it. And uh, um, if there's a film you'd like to see us pick apart, please send it to us. Who knows? Maybe we'll do it. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.